I greet you all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, it's good to be with you once again <clears throat> on this Lord's Day. Also, uh, mothers, I hope you've had a wonderful time with your children, um, with your family, and coming to church and, and hearing the word. What I want to do this, e- this evening is I want to uh, piggyback off of what we spoke about last Lord's Day. And if you don't remember uh, last Lord's Day, we spoke about Christ um, as the scope of Scripture. Jesus Christ as the scope of Scripture. And what I, what I hope what you got from last week is a better understanding of how to read the Bible. Many of us uh, don't like uh, reading the Bible because, for one, uh, it doesn't make sense to us. It's hard to make sense of both Old and New Testament. And, and how, do we, uh, how are we to make sense of the New Testament when it talks about Jesus Christ? Um, and the Old Testament, it seems Christ is not mentioned anywhere. Um, I hope last week you saw that uh, Jesus Christ is the, the target and end goal, but also the center of all of divine revelation. As one theologian has said, uh, the Old Testament uh, promises Christ and the New Testament uh, set, shows us that the Christ that was promised has come. The story of the Bible is about one person, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the target and center of the Old Testament. And Jesus Christ is the target and center of the New Testament. So what I want to do this evening is I want to keep that that uh, steam going and that theme going with Christ being the target and scope of Scripture. But I want to talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Specifically, how does the gospel relate to the Old Testament? And I spoke a little bit about this last week or last Lord's Day, but I want to do a full on sermon of how the Old Testament presents the gospel of Jesus Christ. For many, they do not, for, for many uh, Christians, the Old Testament is not a book that uh, is desirable to be studied because it's hard to make sense of the Old Testament. There are various individuals, various names um, that we have to get accustomed with. The language is, is very different um, that we're used to, especially when we come to the New Testament. The language is a little different. Um, so it's hard for Christians to get a grasp on the Old Testament and fall in love with the Old Testament. Because it's very hard to make sense of the Old Testament. For many Christians, the Old Testament in their vantage point or their view, is all about law. It's all about the story of Israel. Um, It's hard for many to see Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is not uh, obviously, as some theologians would say, is not obviously present in the old as he is in the new. And the way the, 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 the way that people have come about to learn the Old Testament and to understand the Old Testament is first you must read the New Testament. And then once you get a grasp of the New Testament, you read Christ and all that it says about Jesus Christ back into the Old Testament. 
So what you do is you have to do a, a second reading of the Old Testament in order for you to see Jesus Christ, in order for you to see the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the Old Testament, on its own terms, does not present the Jesus does not present Jesus Christ. Does not present the gospel of God. In fact, the Old Testament and the writers of the Old Testament weren't focused on Jesus Christ specifically. The Old Testament to some uh, theologians and some Christians' minds was the Old Testament's primary concern was to teach us a history lesson of Israel, the various things in the past, such as a flood, uh, such as an exodus, teach us about various individuals such as Noah and Moses and David. But the Old Testament, on its own terms, doesn't present to us Jesus Christ, nor the gospel of God. Saints, what I want to do this evening is I want to dispel that myth that the Old Testament does not present Jesus Christ. For many, uh, for many advocates of this type of hermeneutic where you have to read the New Testament first and then read whatever you read in the New Testament back into the Old, uh, what many of them advocate is the way you view the Old Testament and the way you must view the Old Testament is you want to view the Old Testament as a mystery novel. There's various clues in, a mis- in this mystery novel. And who's the surprise ending? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the surprise ending to the mystery novel of the Old Testament. But like I said, intrinsically, Jesus Christ is not present in the old. Now, you might say, what's the problem with that type of reading? It seems only natural. Well, the problem, one of the problems with that type of reading is, if Jesus Christ is not present in the old, if the gospel is not present in the old, and if the writers of Scripture did not have a messianic consciousness, they're not writing from a messianic vantage point in the Old Testament, if they didn't see Christ as the scope of Scripture, then how were any people in the Old Testament saved? If Christ and the gospel is not present in the Old Testament, then we must say that people in the Old Testament were saved from something apart from faith alone in Christ alone. It must mean that the law does something more than point us to Christ. But the, but the law in and of itself has the ability to save us from our sins. That's one of the problems with that type of hermeneutic, and one the, that's one of the problems with that type of reading of the Old Testament. So what I want to do this evening, saints, is I want to show us uh, in Romans chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 4, how the gospel is not a new development uh, in the New Testament, uh, nor is the gospel something that we come to when we get to the New Testament. But what I want to do is I want to with the help of the Apostle Paul and the Holy Spirit, is say that the gospel is rooted in the Old Testament. The gospel is rooted in the Old Testament. Um, and everything that the gospel promises and predicts comes to full fruition in the New Testament. So when we say that Jesus Christ, and when we read about Jesus Christ in the New Testament, Jesus is not the surprise to the, uh, this great, longed mystery novel. But he is the one that was promised long 
ago. So I want to do that in two points. And the first is the origin of the gospel. And the second, the content of the gospel. We'll see both in the Old Testament. The origin of the gospel. And number two, the content of the gospel. And like I said in the beginning, saints, I hope that at the end of this study and this lesson that you get a better grasp of how to read your Bible, how to read the Old Testament and and how we are to interpret the Old Testament in light of the New Testament. So let's look at the first point, and that is the origin of the gospel, the origin of the gospel. Uh, Friends, if I was to ask you, where do we get the gospel from? What would you say? If someone was to ask you, where do where does the gospel derive from? Where, where, what is its origins? Where does it come from? Where does it where does it originate from? What would you say? Some might say the gospel is something that was developed by the disciples and apostles following the resurrection of Christ. Others might say the gospel is a New Testament invention. Therefore, the gospel finds its origins after the resurrection of Christ. Hey, Ray, can you turn the air down a little bit or off or something? It's cold. Um, therefore, the gospel finds its origins after the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We don't have a gospel prior to the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It takes Christ or the eternal son of God to become incarnate and live, die and rise on the behalf of his people in order for us to get this gospel. Here's another question, friends. Uh, Since the gospel, to many Christians' minds, is something that is only seen in the New Testament, does that mean that the gospel was not present in the Old Testament? Let me say that again. Since the gospel is something that is only seen in the New Testament, does that mean that the gospel is not present in the Old Testament? Does it mean that the Old Testament does not contain the gospel? Are we to view the Old Testament as strictly law and hear this with no redemptive saving grace? Was there any redemptive saving grace in the Old Testament? And I think that's the tendency or that's our tendency of how we view the Old Testament. When we read about the story of Israel and we read about the various ceremonial and civil laws that were to be obeyed, we have to ask, uh, where is the gospel in the Old Testament? Where is God's grace in the Old Testament? Is it even there? And here in the opening verses of the letter to the Romans, the Apostle Paul dispels the myth that the gospel is not present in the Old Testament. That the gospel is not present in the Old Testament. But matter of fact, the gospel is deeply woven into the fabric of the Old Testament. That the Old Testament presents the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friends, look at me at verses 1 and 2 of Romans 1. Look what the Apostle Paul says. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. And here it is, which he promised beforehand, which he promised beforehand uh, through his prophets in Holy Scripture. There's two things I want to highlight in these two verses, saints. And the first is I want you to notice the divine authorship of the gospel. The divine authorship of the gospel. In verse 1, Paul is called to be an apostle, set apart, and here it's, for the gospel of God. 
He's set apart for the gospel of God. Notice those words, the gospel of God. And this saint speaks of the authorship of the gospel. The authorship of the gospel. In other words, this is not Paul's gospel. This is not Paul's gospel. Paul did not invent the gospel. Neither is this Peter's gospel, nor is this John's gospel or Timothy's gospel. The gospel doesn't come from the creative minds of any disciple or apostle or prophet or theologian. Rather, the gospel finds its origins in God. The gospel is first and foremost God's gospel. It is God's gospel. The gospel is divinely authored by God, and hear this, apart from any human input. Apart from any human input, the gospel is divinely authored by God. The gospel that Paul proclaims, the gospel that we proclaim, is a gospel that belongs to no one else but God. God and Him alone. It is a gospel that is authored by God. Therefore, it's a gospel of divine produce. And since the gospel is divinely authored by God, it means the gospel, and hear this, cannot be the production of any apostle, prophet, or theologian. Since the gospel is divinely authored by God, it cannot be the production of any disciple, of any prophet, or any theologian. Nor is the gospel uh, the production of creative human reflection. Meaning, the disciples and the prophets they didn't, or and theologians they didn't read the, the entirety of the Bible and, and come away with the gospel. The gospel was present long before anyone wrote of the gospel. The gospel of God finds its origins in God, who is the author of the gospel. Secondly, not only is the gospel authored by God, but Paul says the gospel is not the production of the New Testament. The gospel is not the production of the New Testament. Look again at verse 1 and 2. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and holy scriptures. Paul says the gospel was promised beforehand. The gospel of God was promised beforehand through the mouths of the prophets in holy scriptures. So let's just break that down. And what I want to do is I want to go from the end of verse 2 to the beginning of verse 2. I think that will make much more sense to all of us. But notice, Paul says the gospel is rooted in the holy scriptures. Question, friends. What scriptures is Paul talking about? And if you say any New Testament scriptures, you got it wrong. Because there was no New Testament scriptures for Paul to look at. Paul is not reciting anything from the Gospel of John or the Gospel of Matthew or anything from his own writings. But the scriptures that Paul is referring to is the Old Testament scriptures. In other words, Paul is saying the Old Testament scriptures contain the gospel. The Old Testament scriptures contain the gospel on its own terms. Apart from the New Testament, the gospel contained, spoke, and produced believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. This means, saints, that the gospel 
is not the production of the New Testament. We don't read the New Testament and say, whoa, there's the gospel. But the New Old Testament intrinsically and on its own terms presents the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel did not begin with the life, death and resurrection of Christ, but the gospel precedes Jesus appearing in history. Meaning before Jesus ever stepped onto the scene, there was a gospel that was preached. Before the eternal son took on human flesh, there was a gospel that was preached. The gospel is deeply rooted in the Old Testament. And second, notice who spoke of the gospel in the Old Testament. Where does the gospel come from? But who spoke of the gospel in the Old Testament? From whose mouths did the gospel come from? Verse 2, Paul says, the prophets. The prophets. Meaning the prophets of the Old Testament preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. Consider 1 Peter verse, uh, chapter 1, verses 10 through 11. First Peter says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the consequent glories. What Peter is saying is the prophets who prophesied of this future grace that was to be that was to be uh, poured out to the elect, searched carefully the scriptures. They searched carefully of what they were writing concerning who are we talking about and when is he coming? Which means is the, the Old Testament writers had a, hear this, a canonical consciousness. They knew that they were writing scriptures. Did they know all the particularities? No. But they knew that there was one who was to come. They knew that there was a promised seed that was to come and that was to crush the serpent's head and, and bring the forgiveness of sins to, to all of, uh, of his people. Consider 2 Timothy um, chapter 3, verse 15. Paul says to Timothy, And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. When Paul tells Timothy, You've been acquainted with the sacred writings... What sacred writings? No, no New Testament passage, no New Testament writing, but Paul is referring to the Old Testament sacred writings. And what does he say? That these Old Testament sacred writings are able to make you wise for salvation. The Old Testament uh, sacred writings are, are able to make one wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Through faith in Christ. Uh, that was the message of the Old Testament. Lastly, consider the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, verse 3 and 4. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also receive, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Again, saints, which Scriptures is Paul referring to? No New Testament scriptures, but Paul is referring to the Old Testament. He says that Christ died for our sins in accordance to the Old Testament. Christ was buried and raised in accordance to the Old Testament. What Paul has in view here is the Old Testament scriptures. So we see, friends, from these three examples, from Peter, uh, Paul, and, 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 and Paul again, 
that the New Testament writers testify of the fact that the Old Testament contained the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is our evidence that the Old Testament contained the gospel? Paul and Peter, inspired writers of Scripture. Richard Barcelo says the New Testament both assumes and builds upon the Old Testament. The New Testament writers were interpreting the redemptive historical acts of God in the incarnation, sufferings, and glory of Christ, something the Old Testament predicted, meaning saying that the Old Testament writers did not reinterpret the Old Testament in light of Christ, but hear this, but rather they interpreted Christ in light of the Old Testament. They saw the Old Testament on its own terms was a messianic document. It spoke of Jesus Christ. Meaning the Old Testament saints was not primarily to teach us about the nation of Israel. It wasn't primarily to teach us about uh, these historical individuals, Abraham, Noah, Moses, David. But it was to teach us of the Christ who was to come. The Old Testament was to teach us and point us of of Jesus Christ who was to come. And lastly, saints, notice the mode the mode in which the gospel was preached in the Old Testament. So we see that the gospel finds its origins um, and it's rooted in the Old Testament. It's seen in the Old Testament. It's, spoke by, it's spoken of by the prophets in the Old Testament. But what mode in which, in what mode was the gospel uh, pre- preached and presented? The Apostle Paul says the gospel of God was promised beforehand. It was promised beforehand. In other words, The way the gospel was preached in the Old Testament was by way of promise. Was by way of promise. The prophets of the old promised the Messiah who was to come. And saints, this is what separates the gospel under the Old Testament and the gospel under the New Testament. If you want to know what's the difference between the gospel under the Old Testament and the gospel under the New Testament, it's simply this. The way the gospel was communicated in the Old Testament, under the Old Testament, was through promise. But the way the gospel is presented in the New Testament is by way of fulfillment. Is by way of fulfillment. The old spoke of the Messiah to come, and the new says the Messiah has come. The old says there is going to be one who will crush the serpent's head. And the news said that one who was to come has crushed the serpent's head. The essence of the message doesn't change between Old and New Testament. It's one gospel. And the gospel under the Old Testament, saints, hear this. The gospel under the Old Testament had just as much power to save as the gospel under the New Testament. Just as much power. From Genesis to Revelation, there was one gospel, one message. One person who it points to. Jonathan Edwards summarizes it nicely when he says, Christ and his redemption are the great subject of the whole Bible. The whole book, both Old and New Testament, it's filled with the gospel. Only with this difference, that the gospel, that the Old Testament contains the gospel under a veil. But the new contains it unveiled. So we may see that the glory of the Lord with an open face. How we want to view the relationship between the Old and the New Testament saints is this. This is uh, B.B. Warfield brought this out is 
we want to view the Old Testament and the revelation in the Old Testament as a fully furnished room, but dimly lit. A fully furnished room, but dimly lit. And as we move to the New Testament, we see that fully furnished room, fully lit. Fully lit. But saints, we must ask, where in the Old Testament do we see this gospel promised? We see, we know, and we're hearing that the gospel was promised beforehand through the prophets. But where? Where in the Old Testament, saints? This is the quiz. Where in the Old Testament can we turn and see the gospel promised? Anyone. Genesis 3.15. Thank you, Doreen. Genesis, and I'm, all of you knew that. Genesis 3.15 presents to us the gospel of Jesus Christ, but in promised form, in a veiled form. Let me read it again. If you don't know the passage, uh, the, Lord said to, the Lord God said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. What is this known as? This is known as the first gospel. The first gospel. The Lord God promises a seed from the woman whose heel will be bruised, but the one that's, whose heel will be bruised will, will crush the head of the serpent. Genesis 3.15 is, is what we see. Uh, we see God promising this covenant of grace. He promises, God promises one who will come and take all those who are under that broken covenant of works that says, do this and live, and place them under that covenant of grace which says, receive and live. So saints, let's quickly summarize what we learned in this point. We've learned that the gospel is first and foremost God's gospel. It's not Paul's gospel. It's not John Owen's gospel. It's not my gospel. It's God's gospel. It is authored by God. It finds its origins in God. We've learned that the gospel is first and foremost God's gospel, but, but also, secondly, that the prophets preached the gospel in the Old Testament by way of promise. They spoke and they prophesied uh, and promised this one who was to come who will crush the serpent's head and by way bring many sons to glory. And thirdly, Genesis 3.15 gives us an, an Old Testament example uh, of the gospel being presented in promise form. In promise form. Let's now, saints, look at our second and last point, the content of the gospel. So we've seen the origins of the gospel, who spoke of the gospel in the Old Testament. Um, by, by which way did the Old Testament or did the gospel uh, was presented in the Old Testament? Now we have to ask, what is the content of the gospel? What is the gospel? And I ask that to you, saints. If I was to ask you, what is the gospel? What would you say? What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? Some of you might say the gospel starts with holy God. Then you might move to the fall of man in the garden. And then lastly, you move to the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. And then what one must do uh, to believe and to have eternal life. Nothing wrong with that. In fact, I think that is a great summarization of the entirety of the gospel. That's what we as elders teach new members in our new members class, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some of you might say the gospel starts with, um, or some of you might say that the gospel is Jesus Christ reconciling sinful man and holy God. Nothing wrong with that. If you want a short uh, uh, a summarization of the gospel, others might say the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. Nothing wrong with that either. Bo- both are true. All of these are true. But 
what I want to get at, and what I think Paul is getting out, is what is the essence of the gospel? What is the essence of the gospel? Not the, the full story of the gospel, but what is the essence of the gospel? And what we say and what we see from, the, from Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 is the essence of the gospel is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the essence of the gospel. If you lose any of those aspects, you lose the gospel. So let's look at uh, Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 again. Paul, a, sermon of, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in holy scriptures. Hear this. And here's the gospel laid out. This is the gospel concerning to Paul. This is the essence of the gospel. Concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. That is the gospel, that is the gospel um, uh, of God that Paul presents to us. Paul says that the content of the gospel that was preached in the Old Testament, remember, we're building upon the gospel that was promised beforehand, preached by the, by the, by the uh, prophets. The content of what these prophets spoke of was the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what, they, that's what they were concerned with. That's what they what were prophesying. That's what they promised to the Old Testament saints. Or we can say that the, that the prophets of old, the content of what they were saying, what they were speaking of was the sufferings and consequent glorification of the, of the Son of God. So let's consider some of these elements of the gospel that Paul presents to us. And let's first consider the life of Christ. The life of Christ. And we see that in verse 3. Paul says, who was descended from David according to the flesh. This speaks of the incarnation of the eternal son. And we're going to get to um, that doctrine of the incarnation soon. But uh, the incarnation simply means that the eternal son took on or took to himself a true human nature. For what purpose? To save us from our sins. To save us from our sins. And friends, this is what the Old Testament prophets prophesied of. We've already seen that God's uh, promised seed in Genesis 3.15 is about Jesus Christ. But we also see in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 an amazing prophecy of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And you shall call his name Emmanuel. The coming one is not only supernaturally conceived, but he will be God in human flesh. This is why the Old Testament, uh, this is why the Old Testament's perspective on redemption was one of longing and anticipation and expectation and hope. They, they read Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 and, and they, and they uh, were studying who this one that is that is going to be that is going to come and be conceived by a virgin whose name will be Emmanuel. They long for this one that was to come. They anticipated this one that was to come with great expectation. And they believed in this one. They believed in this one. For instance, um, my wife, she's going to get a big settlement in soon from her car accident. I have great expectation in that. I have great expectation in that. But will she get it? I don't know. 
So do I lose the hope? I can have expectation without hope. What I'm saying is in the Old Testament, these people believed in this one that was to come. They, they, they anticipated this one that was to come, but also they believed wholeheartedly in this one that was to come. They had faith that God, is, that God will be faithful to his promises and he will bring about this skull-crushing seed of the woman alongside the life of Christ, being of the essence of the gospel. We must also consider the death and resurrection of Christ. We can't speak of the gospel and the essence of the gospel and only speak of the life of Christ, but we also must speak of the death and resurrection of Christ. The Apostle Paul goes on and says in verse 4, And he was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Resurrection from the dead in verse 4 presupposes death in verse 3. For, God, for Jesus Christ to be the Son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, means that there was a time when the Son of God was not in power. When was, when was that time? When he was buried in the grave. When Christ was buried in the grave, was he the Son of God in power? No. He was the Son of God in weakness, for he was dead. But he was raised from the dead. What Paul has in view here is the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. And just as the life of Christ was prophesied in the Old Testament, the death and resurrection of Christ was prophesied in the Old Testament. Psalm twenty-two sixteen speaks of the crucifixion of Christ. Psalm 16.10 speaks of the resurrection of Christ. The gospel content of the Old Testament was the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is exactly what Christ says in Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through 45. Hear this, saints. Christ says, Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Christ sums up the entirety of the Old Testament in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. But also notice that Jesus doesn't give a proof text. He sums up the entirety of the Old Testament in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And he says that in those Old Testament scriptures I'm spoken of, but Christ does something strange. He doesn't give a proof text. He doesn't say, now go read Isaiah 53. Go read Psalm 22. Go read Genesis 3.15. Why does Christ give a proof text? Because in Christ's estimation, the entirety of the Old Testament speaks of him. There isn't enough proof text for Christ to give in order for him to uh, suffice uh, the people's inquiries of him and, and how the Old Testament speaks of him. In Christ's estimation, the entire Old Testament is one witness that centers and points to Jesus Christ. That's why he doesn't give it. That's why he doesn't give a proof text. That's why there's no reason to give a proof text. That's why if, you, if someone asks you, where is Christ in the Old Testament? It's not bad to say everywhere. Where do you want to go? You want to go to the Psalms? You want to go to uh, the first five books of the Old Testament? Pick a book. 
You want to go to the various people of, um, uh, of the Old Testament that typologically point to Jesus Christ? In Jesus' estimation, saints, what, uh, what the main subject matter of the Old Testament was the life, death, and resurrection of himself. Himself. Which means that Christ viewed himself as the central figure of the Old Testament. Which means what for us? Which, which means that we have to view Christ as the center of the Old Testament. If Christ views himself as the center of the Old Testament, then, then we have to view Christ as the center of the Old Testament. It is he whom the prophets spoke of. We read the same in Luke chapter 24, verse 25 to 27, which says, And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart, to believe, that, uh, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And, and, I, and I believe, and we say this in, um, in, in our, our meaning in Calvinist debates, that all doesn't mean all, but in here I believe that all means all. All that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Why was it necessary? Because the Old Testament prophesied and predicted it. That's why it was necessary. And beginning with Moses, the first five books of the Old Testament, and all of the prophets, the rest of the Old Testament, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Richard Gaffin says it nicely. For Jesus and the New Testament writers, the Old Testament was one large prophetic and promissory witness to Christ. One large prophetic and promissory witness to Christ. A diverse but unified witness that centers in his sufferings and consequent glorification. What this means is the great subject matter of the Old Testament is not Israel, is not Adam, it's Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ. He is the target and the center of divine revelation. To Christ, there is a great continuity within all the Old Testament prophets. This is a great point to, to bring out that, that with different voices from different parts of the land, the prophets preached one message, the gospel, and they spoke of one person, Jesus Christ. And saints, that is what Paul is driving at in Romans uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. That the gospel, in Paul's estimation, is not original with him, nor is it something produced after the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. But the gospel was preached long ago by the prophets and believed in by saints. What we should gather from this lesson, saints, is from Genesis 3.15 to the end of Malachi, the gospel in the Old Testament was alive, active, and present. Was alive, active, and present. The gospel is not something that we come to after a second reading of the Old Testament. Meaning we don't read the Old Testament for a second time and say, oh, there's the gospel. But on a first reading, the gospel is present. Nor does the New Testament, and hear this, nor does the New Testament actualize the gospel reality in the, in the Old Testament. The, the New Testament does not actualize the gospel reality in the Old, meaning we don't read the New Testament, see the gospel, read the gospel, and then read it back into the old. But the gospel is there in the old. Uh, the, old um, the, the Old Testament, apart from the New Testament, on its own, witness to Christ, contain the saving knowledge of Christ, and produce believers 
in Christ, as Richard Barcelos would say. The Old Testament predicted and promised Christ. Therefore, we can say the main concern of the Old Testament was not Israel per se, was not Abraham per se, was not Moses per se, but was Jesus Christ crucified and raised. That was the main uh, target of the Old Testament in which the prophets prophesied of and predicted. That was what all uh, saints and what they believed in. So, saints, in closing, what is one practical application for us to take away with? And how does this, how can we listen to this lesson? And how can this be of some improvement upon our lives? Some of you might say, how does knowing the Old Testament concerning the gospel, what does that do for us? Is it simply head knowledge? And for, in some respect, it is head knowledge. It's, it's, we need to know, we need to uh, uh, have a better understanding of the Old Testament and how to interpret the Old Testament. Okay, Um, but apart from simply knowing and how to interpret the Old Testament and read the Old Testament better, one practical application of our lesson is we can trust God's even more God's word even more. We can place our faith in God's word even more. The New Testament saints is a witness to God's faithfulness. It's a witness to God's faithfulness. God throughout the ages preserved his gospel and preserved a remnant of people to preach his gospel. And mind you, saints, that will never stop. No matter how dark the land goes and, and, how, and how dim the lights get, there always will be one who God will raise up to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. But for what purpose? Why? Why would God preserve his gospel? Why would God preserve men to preach his gospel and women? To preach his gospel in order that you may believe the gospel by faith alone in Christ alone. So, saints, next time you question the promises of God, consider the gospel of God. Let's pray.